This episode is meant to discuss the dig taking place in northern Macomb County today, May 9th. It started on Monday, May 7th. And also to talk about convicted murderer Arthur Nelson Ream. He is the suspect linked to the dig occurring in Macomb County this week. Local news and sources close to the case are saying that multiple bodies could be unearthed in the woods. Lab technicians, forensic odontologists, and DNA analysts are standing by to process remains and evidence as it is uncovered. I want to give you a quick overview of who Reem is, his history of violence against girls and young women, and also the names and stories of the women who could possibly be in the woods awaiting discovery by teams of law enforcement. As of this writing, Reem is 69 years old. In fact, today, May 9th, 2018, is his birthday. Reem's legal troubles, which involve sexual misconduct against girls and young women, go all the way back to 1975, when he's 26 years old. Of course, that doesn't mean he wasn't active earlier. It simply means that he wasn't caught. In the spring or summer of 1975, in Shelby Township, Michigan, the same community where the dig is now taking place, Reem was charged with indecent liberties with a child. August 7, 1975 is the date that he was charged, and I suspect that Reem did minimal time behind bars if he was incarcerated at all for the offense. Because in September of 1979, he was out in the community And it's suspected that on a September night, he offered a ride to 12-year-old Kim King of Warren. King, who was last seen at a friend's house for a sleepover, disappeared after sneaking away to hang out with friends along the Gratiot Corridor. If you are interested in learning more about the disappearance of Kimberly King and hearing from her sister, Connie, you'll find Kim's story in episode 74. While Reem may have been on the radar of law enforcement, his next charge was not until 1996. Criminal sexual conduct against a child aged 13 to 15. He was sentenced to a maximum of 15 years in prison. And while I can't find anything official, I've read that he had raped a 14-year-old girl, and that's what he went to prison for. Arthur Reem admits to having a, quote, fetish for 13-year-old girls, so he's a pedophile, and his behavior put him in the crosshairs of investigators handling the disappearance of 13-year-old Cindy Zarzicki. Cindy, who was acquainted with Reem's son, Scott, she disappeared after leaving home on April 20, 1986, a Sunday morning, to meet Arthur Reem at the local Dairy Queen in East Point. In a heartbreaking turn of events, Cindy's younger brother followed her to the Dairy Queen, asking where she was going and imploring her to allow him to come along. Cindy was harsh with him. He was not welcome, and he wasn't coming along. He should just go back home. And her brother retreated, not knowing he would never see Cindy again. You see, Arthur Ream knew that Cindy was sweet on his son, Scott. So Reem called Cindy at her house in the evening that Saturday. He told her it was his son's birthday and invited her to a surprise party on Sunday. Cindy was excited to participate in the party and to see Scott Reem again. She agreed to meet Arthur Reem the next day at the Dairy Queen in East Point. Cindy didn't know that Scott's birthday was back in January. There was no party. 
So Sunday morning, Cindy gets up early. She wanted to look her best for this party. Reem was waiting in his white work van. She didn't hesitate to get in the van and to go with him, eager to see his son, eager to attend the party. Cindy didn't know it was a lie, and she didn't know that she had hours left to live. Instead of going to a party, Arthur Reem took Cindy to his carpet and flooring warehouse, which was closed on Sunday. He had the place all to himself. It was him, Cindy, and all the time in the world. You see, he'd sent his son Scott to Texas with a business partner. He was so eager to be rid of Scott that weekend that he pulled Scott out of school for this trip. When Reem got up Sunday morning, he told his wife he had work to do that day. And this explained his departure from their home on what should have been his day off. Reem knew he had Cindy alone, and he knew they would not be disturbed. When he had completed his horrific task, he took Cindy's body north to a wooded area in Shelby Township where he buried her. She would be there, buried near the river, for 22 years before Reem led law enforcement to her remains. With her body were the distinctive shoes she'd been wearing that day, along with her purse and a few mixtapes featuring her favorite songs. The tapes were hand-labeled in Cindy's own writing. In 2008, when police and investigators were closing in on Arthur Ream, they could not speak with Scott Ream about the case because he died in a car wreck back in 1994. One of the things that jumped out at me about Cindy Zarzicki, who Ream is convicted of killing, and Kim King, whose remains they are searching for today, is that the girls are very similar in appearance. In addition to being the same age, Cindy was 13 in April of 1986, and Kim was weeks away from her 13th birthday in September of 1979 when she vanished, is that they are similar in appearance. Detective Derek McLaughlin of East Point Police met with Arthur Ream in 2008. He and another investigator visited Ream in prison. McLaughlin, known as Mac, would say that when they arrived, Ream, quote, didn't ask us why we were there. He just said, I knew this day would come, end quote. Mac and investigator Jennifer Lebo took Ream out of the prison, allowing him to visit the grave of his son, Scott. They pointed out that he, Ream, had a place to visit his son. He knew where his child was buried. The Zarzikis didn't have that with their daughter, Cindy. Ream bristled at the comment, telling them that it was, quote, a low blow. Eventually, Ream gave in, taking another field trip away from the prison where he had resided for years, to a field in northern Macomb County, the same field where dozens of investigators have spent the last two days, and will likely spend several weeks if the numbers I'm hearing from the press are correct. As many as seven bodies could be buried there, seven young girls, seven families waiting for answers and for justice. I would like to review the stories behind the names I've been hearing in the press, the names of girls, teenagers, who could be in the woods, in that field by the river. We'll start with the oldest case, the disappearance of 13-year-old Cynthia Kuhn. In January of 1970, Cynthia was a student at Forsyth Junior High School on Newport Road in Ann Arbor. She got up that morning for school and vanished. Her parents, not used to any trouble from their brown-haired, brown-eyed daughter, reported her missing to police. 
She hadn't offered any sign that she would run away, nor had she taken any of her belongings with her. Her parents would report getting two phone calls from Cynthia in April of 1970, months after she'd vanished. The calls came in late at night, one on April 1st and one on April 2nd, just a couple of hours apart. I imagine that one call came in at maybe 11 or 11.30 at night, and the next call came in at 1 or 2 in the morning, making them on two different days, but just hours apart. Cynthia didn't know where she was, but she wanted help. The contents of these calls were not made public. The Kuhn family would not hear from her again. On May 5th, 1970, another call came in. This was described as an extortion call, but it didn't lead to their daughter being found. There was some concern that Cynthia could have been a victim of serial killer John Norman Collins, who was active in the Ann Arbor-Ypsilanti area from the summer of 1967 through the summer of 1969. There are a couple of problems with this, particularly with the phone calls. Assuming it was Cynthia who phoned late that night, Collins didn't hold his victims captive. Collins also liked for his work to be discovered. He would have left Cynthia's remains someplace where she could be found. That's what he liked. And finally, the extortion call. Assuming it wasn't a prank, it doesn't fit with Collins. If Arthur Ream is responsible for the disappearance of Cynthia Kuhn, he would have been 20 years old when she was taken. Next, we have Nadine O'Dell, a beautiful red-headed girl who was last seen walking in the city of Inkster, located just west of Detroit, and not terribly far from the metro airport. On the morning of August 16, 1974, she set out on foot for the home of her boyfriend, who lived in nearby Taylor. Nadine was dressed in jeans, a t-shirt, and she wore her boyfriend's Taylor High School class ring on a chain around her neck. Fifteen-year-old Nadine did not arrive at his home, nor did anyone see her. Like Cynthia Kuhn, she simply vanished. Nadine has a sister, Brenda, who was nine years old in 1974. According to an interview with our local NBC affiliate, Brenda accepts that Nadine is deceased, and she wants to know what became of her sister. Kim King, another potential victim of Arthur Ream, lived in Warren, just a mile or so from East Point, where Ream lived at the time. I discussed her case in episode 74, which includes an interview with her sister, Connie. Two things I want to clarify from that episode is that Ream was out on the street in 1979. He was not incarcerated like I thought at the time of that recording. I also mistakenly assumed that, that Ream owned the wooded property in Shelby Township, where Cindy Sarzicki's remains were discovered in 2008. But that's not the case. It is my understanding that the search for 12-year-old Kim King is what led law enforcement to resume searching the wooded area in Macomb County, near where Cindy Sarzicki's body was found 10 years ago. In 1981, 15-year-old Kim Marie Larrow, who was from Dundee, Michigan, near Monroe, she was spending the summer with her mother in Canton, a western suburb in Wayne County. Kim was going to meet friends at a local ice cream place, or perhaps to hang out at a party on Hines Drive when she disappeared. Kim's case was not investigated intensely at the time. She had a turbulent relationship with her mother, and it was assumed that she'd run away. Kim's half-sister and her cousin, 
who worked in law enforcement, they've pushed her case forward in recent years. I also discussed the disappearance of Kim Laro in an early episode titled Four Stories. The last name that I've seen mentioned in relation to the dig in Macomb County is that of 17-year-old Kelly Marie Brownlee, a fashionable brunette from West Bloomfield Township who was last seen at 12 Oaks Mall in Novi. Kelly had a challenging home life. Her mother had remarried, and Kelly's stepfather, Paul Brownlee, was rumored to be physically abusive to Kelly and her sister Kim. Their mother, Loretta, denied these allegations, although Kelly's friends would later say that they had seen Kelly with bruises. Kim, who was older than Kelly, had moved out of the home to get away from the behavior of their stepfather, Paul Brownlee. On the morning of May 20th, 1982, Kelly hitchhiked from her school to 12 Oaks Mall. She was hoping to line up a summer job at one of the more popular and fashionable stores there. With her thick, dark, curly hair and stylish clothes, Kelly was unforgettable. While at the mall that day, she was seen by the mother of one of her classmates, who asked Kelly why she wasn't in class. Kelly told her she was trying to land a summer job before spots at her favorite stores were all filled up. Kelly did not return home that evening, and she wouldn't be seen alive again. Her stepfather provided police with an account of his day that he'd made phone calls, visited the gym, and, in a move that I found curious, he claimed to have visited the grave of his father-in-law at the very large cemetery just north of Twelve Oaks Mall. At the time of her disappearance, Kelly was staying with friends or her boyfriend because she did not feel safe in her home. At the time of her disappearance, her mother was supposedly in the process of divorcing Paul Brownlee, but the divorce didn't happen until 1985, three years after Kelly vanished. Brownlee was interviewed by law enforcement once about her case, then he refused to be interviewed or cooperate again, although I've heard that he called the West Bloomfield Police a few times over the years to see how the case was progressing. Before we wrap up, I want to talk about the Oakland County child killer since the name of that particular monster keeps coming up. While the time frame matches, the Oakland County child killer took pleasure in leaving the bodies of his victims in plain sight. They were not concealed in the woods, and they were not left in Macomb County. As much as it pains me to think that there were multiple people preying on children in our community, it appears that Reem and the Oakland County child killer are not one and the same. Of course, this case is a moving target, and as new information is revealed, things could change, but right now, no, I don't think they're related. Today is Wednesday, May 9th, and it is not only Arthur Ream's 69th birthday, it's day three of the Macomb County Dig, where teams from Michigan State Police, the Macomb County Sheriff, Warren Police, the FBI, and Special Investigators are combing the wooded area for the remains of up to seven young women. Because this is a case in progress, details and information can change at a moment's notice. I am following the developments closely, and I hope that answers are forthcoming, and that these young women can finally come home. Thank you for listening to this special episode of the Already Gone podcast. Send good thoughts to these investigators and to the families awaiting answers to terrible questions. And please, be safe. Mm-hmm.